It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Good morning. Happy Good New morning. Year. Happy New Year to you. Good morning. It is a whole new season and it is um, cold. <laughs> <laughs> Where you are, it's not as bad here in Texas. Yeah, I definitely, I missed that. Um, we were talking just a little bit ago before the show about how Christmas was actually unseasonably warm up here, which was great because it ended up being 70 degrees that weekend. And so I spent my entire Christmas weekend outside working on expanding the chicken coop in the shed. And then on New Year's weekend, we woke up to single degree temperatures and then it snowed that day and then it snowed later that week. And it's uh, it's it's still cold right now. We're trying to get out of the like upper thirties into the lower forties. I think by the end of the week, we're supposed to be back up maybe in the sixties. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. But then this weekend, there's another cold front comes through and it's going to be thirties again. (laughs) It is winter after all, right? It is winter after all, but I liked living in denial for, you know, the whole month of December was like seventies average up here, which was awesome. But that alas is not the case any longer. So but yes, it is a, it's a new year and we were going to start off this year for our first beekeeper chat of 2022. We were going to talk about an article that you had brought to my attention. This came from the PNAS and it's from their journal club and it's talking about honeybees, the actual title of the article. And I will post this article into the description so that when you guys go out there and you watch or listen to this, you can, you can pull that up and get the article yourself. But the title of the article is Honeybee Queens Influence Offspring Cast Through Egg Size. And this is something that is new. We've known before in the past that the queen obviously can choose whether or not she is going to be raising a female or a male, a drone or a worker. And we've always known that, but there's this, this article, it actually came from uh research that was done in 2019 and what they found was that when eggs are laid in queen cells specifically those eggs are actually larger and heavier than the normal eggs that are laid in the other cells and it shows that the queen has control over being able to choose further than just the genetics of are they fertilized or not but being able to control that egg to become a queen And then as those queens were raised, the adult queens that emerged from pupation weighed more as well than queens that were raised from regular worker cell eggs. So it's a very fascinating concept, and it it has some implications to it that, if true, could be very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely several things at play. It's not just epigenetics. There's also... Um, there's the diet, there's the weight of the egg, there's the royal jelly versus worker jelly, um, and all that comes into play, which is why typically, I, I mean, I tend to like swarm cells, uh, swarm queens better, 
because all those factors are gathered into one queen. When you're um, doing splits or the bees are replacing their queens, those factors are not necessarily all there. I'm guessing that as a supersedure, uh, the eggs would be also bigger because they're choosing to replace those queens. So they're, they're you know, making sure that she's got the all the chances uh, on her side. But if you're doing any kind of splitting and you're forcing emergency um, rearing of queens, I think that you're asking for trouble because you don't necessarily start with the big eggs. You don't necessarily start with the worker jelly. You don't, I mean, the royal jelly um, and, and all, all kind of cascades down to um, a, a poor quality queen, uh, which is also partly why when we rear queens, I, I, like, I like to use swarm quality uh, queens over grafting, for example, because when you graft, uh, eggs to rear queens, very often you'll have to wait until the larvae is old enough after the at least the first instar, uh, a few hours um, old at least, if not a day or two, so that you can actually safely pick it up from the cell and transfer it to the queen rearing uh, cells. And what happens is that in that expense of time, from the time the egg hatches, to the time you transfer and graft, then you have that larvae has been fed basically worker jelly and not necessarily the royal jelly in the abundance and quality that they would otherwise feed a queen, which means in the end, those queens are not gonna be the same quality. So I think that by uh, knowing they're gonna rear queens, they're also making sure that they lay bigger eggs that are going to make for bigger queens that will invariably be more successful at mating and coming back safely to the to the hive. Yeah, unfortunately, grafting or if you're doing the NICOT queen rearing system, which I actually prefer over grafting because grafting, you can easily damage them and it's a lot of painstaking work to go through and do. But if you're using either of those two systems, you're still using larva that have just hatched hopefully that day. But again, like you said, they weren't necessarily intended initially to be queens right. and they weren't fed the right food. And in this case, it implicates that possibly they weren't even the right size of egg. Now, right. it doesn't mean that they cannot obviously turn into a queen because they can, but those queens have been shown in the study to be lighter in weight. And we have found in times where subpar queens have been raised, not only are they lighter in weight, they're smaller in size, they seem to be less effective or less fertile. They don't have the overall genetics that they need to go through and actually perform their job properly. And a lot of times they will end up being superseded. So there's a lot of different things that are, that are going into play in this. But one of the things that I think is interesting, and I will, I will put a caveat in here because it does say later in the article that when they did this study, what they did is they started off taking eggs from queen cells and they measured those. Then they took regular worker eggs from worker cells and they measured those. And then to test their results, they did switch and flip-flop things and move them into different positions to see what the bees would do. And the bees still raised all of them as queens, but the ones that started off in the worker cells were smaller. But they did say that they, they did not have any type of way in this specific trial to determine whether or not the bees were not making additional decisions on their own, such as removing smaller eggs that may have been laid in queen cells because the bees deemed those inferior. And so they took them out. So there could be other reasons behind it, but it still goes into something that I always found fascinating. Something I learned from Juliana Rangel there at Texas A&M 
and the Texas Bee Lab was that there are what they call royal lineages mm-hmm. in the bees. And they're not are I don't I don't think that they're I'm not going to say never, but rarely found in the worker genetics, but always found or or higher likelihood to be found in the queen genetics, even though she's laying all these eggs and any of those eggs could be turned into a queen. There is some other mechanism going on, some other type of selection that the bees are doing where they go through and they are selecting this other aspect that we can't identify. And Mm -hmm. this egg size could very well indicate that or lead into that and be one of the determining factors as to why if she only lays these larger eggs in the queen cells, the queens often come up with that Royal lineage, but the regular workers don't. And I think that's kind of a fascinating possibility with this. Well, it kind of uh, fits into the narrative that, you know, there's always unintended consequences. We don't even begin to understand the very intricate mechanisms that uh, that basically um, directs the life in the colony and how the bees are doing things. There's so many players that are touching to the eggs and the queen, and there's a lot of chemical pheromone messages. There's a lot of uh, very intricate little uh, balance balances that need to be taken into account so whenever humans beekeepers come and intervene in any way we don't begin to understand all the ramifications of our decisions and our actions and that might end up being um you know that might end up kind of being okay for what we're doing but we don't realize that later down the road there's unintended consequences and that uh, as far as i'm concerned the bees always know better Uh, always yeah, it's a, so that's kind of a, something to keep in mind, but that's fascinating to know <laughs> that there's things like that that we don't really think about sometimes um, that can matter on the quality of your queens, right? Yeah, it's a it's a whole nother layer of even if you're just a small backyard beekeeper and you're only going to do a couple of colonies and, you know, you want to take your hand at raising your own queens, these are other aspects to definitely take into consideration if you want to have the healthiest, strongest, most genetically optimum queen for your future colonies. And I think, again, you you said it right there at the beginning that the swarm cells are kind of the best way to go because the swarm cells are primed from day one to be queens right. and they are fed just insane amounts of royal jelly from day one and the bees that's their sole mindset is that this is what this is going to be so those are always going to be the biggest the healthiest the strongest queens that you can possibly use and if you can find ways to manipulate them into doing that then you can get those queens sometimes more often and that's one of the things that Les did with his like the two queen system or the two two hive system in one box Mm-hmm. Instead of having four foot for the colony to continue growing and expanding, you've only got two foot in there for each colony, which means they do fill up that space and it will kick them into a potential swarm mode earlier and possibly more often. So if you were doing like he did back in the day where his goal was to raise more bees, mm-hmm. that gives you that catalyst to have these naturally selected queens to go through and actually use those for your splits. Now, Sometimes, again, if you're just a backyard beekeeper and you only have one or two colonies, you may only plan to do a certain number of splits a year. And this could also indicate that you don't necessarily need to follow the generalized beekeeping calendar Mm -hmm. when you do those. Maybe you need to follow the bees internal calendar. And Mm -hmm. if you've got a colony that's done great and you love the genetics of it and it goes into swarm mode and they start producing swarm cells, make your splits at that time and use those cells 
to then parent that next colony. Well, Les will go even further. He will congest them on purpose when he's trying to rear queens. And then he'll have a bunch of uh, fat queen cells that the bees raised in the under the right conditions. He also does, like you mentioned, the tabar having the two colonies in the one box. He will do what he calls two to three splits, where he will manage to pull out enough resources and alternate them from those two colonies um, and give them um, uh, the queen. Uh, for in one of them, that large one that he's taken all those resources from the other two, and then he'll keep uh, the other ones. And uh, he will still manage to have apiary increases and honey production all at the same time because he's not taxing, overly taxing any one colony uh, too much. So that system works really well. And that colony that has the um, um, mix and matched uh, combs will be the one that will be still big and able to produce a lot of honey, whereas the other splits will be big enough also to um, overwinter really nicely. So he he knows what he's doing and he's been doing it for a long time. Yes, indeed. So again, it just bees are fascinating. They They just blow my mind. The research that keeps coming out on just the, all the things that we would have never fathomed go on inside that hive and all the things that the colony does, the decisions they make, the senses that they have, the the modes of communication that we don't even perceive uh, yes. and understand. It's just, it's mind blowing in, in some regards to go through and actually think about all of it. So I thought it would be very interesting for us to bring that article up to everybody's attention today and kind of kick the new year off with a, you know, a little, thought process, make everybody stop and kind of scratch your head and ponder this uh, possibility that there could still be more to raising a superior queen than just royal jelly and the time of the, you know, the egg hatching and selecting it at the right time and things like that. Egg size and this potential royal lineage, it's a whole nother, you know, dynamic that could potentially be a game changer for certain. Right. And I think it links into um, basically when beekeepers try all kinds of things to make the bees do what they want to do and the bees thrive, it's usually in spite of the beekeeper. (laughs) That that is true. (laughs) They do thrive. So just keep that in mind. And um, I think, I mean, my experience and Les's experience also is that the least you mess with the bees, the healthier they're going to be and the the more thriving they're going to be. So that is very true. So On that note, on the note of bees thriving and surviving or not. um, So I had, I had, I had one colony up here. Yeah. Yes. So the, the little update from the single apiary, the uh, O1B colony, you are our only hope did not survive. OB1 colony died. What What do you think? Was that resources, the stress of the transport or the cold or uh, usually not the cold itself is underlying conditions. What happened? It was a double whammy. So when I placed them out there on the little ridge that overlooked one of the valleys, Um, I have not identified the specific species yet, but there are ants here that we did not have in Texas. And those ants started just literally pilferating the colony and the bees were fighting the ants and the ants were like trying to drag the bees off and they were cleaning out the internal cells. And I don't know how long it had been going on because I got them set up down there and then it was cooler and the bees weren't very active. So I didn't go mess with them. Well, on one of our last little 70 degree days, when it was all nice and, and robust, I went down there to check on them and I didn't notice that much activity. And I was like, uh oh, 
And I started watching. I saw the ants and I was like, okay. So I did have one of the defiant stands where they actually have the, yeah, that you can adjust the leg heights and they've got a dish built at the bottom with a rain cover that you can fill with oil to prevent the ants from getting inside the colony. So I did that. I added the the stand. I put the oil in there and that did stop the ants and we got rid of all of the ants, but the colony was drastically weakened. And then over New Year's weekend, when we had the single temperature, single digit temperatures, the colony did not survive and the cluster was like tennis ball size. They were so drastically reduced and they were all right there. And the queen was right there and they had food nearby, but they were literally just frozen in place, chilled and died. So yeah, so we will be, we will be starting over literally from scratch, but that's okay. I have a couple of swarm traps already out there. I have two nukes purchased that are local survivor stock from here oh, in the yeah. county. And hey, you're, you're uh, we'll have to, um, tell me which uh, person provided those. So maybe they want to be on the uh, survivor stock map uh, that we have on our websites for people to look and, and order bees. They can contact. We don't sell bees, right? Yeah. But um, we have a map on our website that tells people all over the U.S. and even some in Canada uh, where they can find treatment free providers. I will have to double check on the, I, I cannot say whether or not they are treatment free. I just know specifically oh. that they are survivor stock mutts yes. and uh, I will, we will wait until they come in and we see how good a quality they are and, and uh, how they take off right. <laughs> and, and yeah. we'll vet them further before adding them to that <laughs> list. <laughs> well, and, and I heard survivor stock and usually that's, that's, uh, that's usually linked to treatment free, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't necessarily mean that automatically. So it needs yeah. to be checked. It yeah. could be it could be the new version of redheaded mutts, just not yeah. in Texas. No longer Texas redheaded mutts. I can't say that anymore. <laughs> no, you can't. That's it. You're not in Texas anymore. <laughs> dang it. Dang it. Dang it. Well, oh well. But yeah, so well, I will be I will be literally starting from scratch in the spring. And uh that'll be kind of an interesting, uh interesting thing to 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 see, you know, because we had already talked about on the like resolution type aspect of stuff. I now have the opportunity where I can go through and I can start over and do things how I would prefer and have the the one size or one style and things like that and not necessarily have this mixed match of all this stuff. So now it's what are you doing to over to all top bar? <laughs> that's right. All top bar. Well, that's true. Cause the one Langstroth is the one that just died. That's right. So yeah. So I will have to switch over to top bar, but now the question though, um, and this is kind of an interesting thing, but it it's off the topic of the original point of this whole episode. But since how I was talking about ants in a top bar, how do you combat that? How would you, cause I haven't, like I had, we had wood ants back at the main apiary and they never messed with the colonies themselves. They were more detrimental to the wooden structure and they would get up and they would pile all their eggs underneath the lids and things like that. And so they were a nuisance and they could crawl through the holes of the suit and they would bite and sting you. And that sucked, but they did not affect the colony. They never tried to get inside with the bees. They never tried to steal their food or steal the bees. So I never had to actually do any type of ant prevention on my top bars. And now up here, obviously I'm going to have to, and I know that some beekeepers will grease the legs of the bars of the, of the actual hive stand so that the ants can't crawl up through that. Um, I really don't know how you would do kind of like how defiant did their stands for a Langstroth, unless you built a middle frame to use as your, your base for the hive. So that's going to be something I'm going to have to, 
do some research on and ponder right. when I build out these new colonies is how am I going to prevent ants from getting inside the top bars? So in Africa, for example, they will use rebar for the stands and then you can put those upside down, kind of like the define the, the cups. You can run them for through um, like pans upside down and then put another one upside up. That's so that's covering from the rain. And then you can put that oil, same principle. And you yeah. can use those, um, you know, when you cook um, uh, the disposable tin pans or whatever, that you use for turkey or, or muffins. Yeah, the aluminum pie. pans. Yeah, the aluminum pans. Then you could use those and kind of make it happen. The other thing that you can do is use a product that's called Tanglefoot or the equivalent that's um, basically resin and glue. It's an organic product and you can just kind of ladder it around the leg and then in an area where you're not going to have the bees or, or other insects. And then um, the ants cannot crawl through that. That's a... Uh, Harbor, arborists way to protect some trees from insects and, and um, insects that climb up. So they'll put them, um, you can use it either by just laddering on directly onto the wood, or uh, they have those little like, kind of like tissue paper that you put around and then you slobber, slobber that onto the tissue paper. Um, and it's just kind of the way to protect the trees where well, you can use that to protect the uh, hives from the ants as well. That's that's good to know. I'll have to look into that because that's apparently going to be on the list of if you want your next colony to survive, you got to keep the ants out of it. (laughs) Sounds like it. And then the other thing that you need to do uh, that can help out, especially with Sabah Hive, is really caulk all the seams everywhere and only leaving the entrance for the bees to come in and out as the only way to get in and out of the box. So with the Langstroth, that's a little bit more difficult because you always have kind of cracks and at the entrance, you have a wide open entrance, even when it's closed down quite a bit. And then under the lid you have, and then sometimes between the boxes when the wood's not matching quite well, or there's some damage and, and even between the rabbits and the, and the, what do you, the joints. Um, so on the, on the length trough, it's harder to keep away from the ants where in a tab, tab bar trough, uh, super simple, you, you run a cock of, um, a bead of cock and just kind of seal it up for them. Basically. I did, uh, instead of doing caulking, I was using the wood glue that I use when I, cause I, I, I glue and then screw all mine together. So whenever I did that on the inside, if I had any little gaps, I would use the wood glue and then I would take some of the sawdust from all the actual construction, mix that in. And I would put that into the gaps and stuff. And so I would seal it and made sure that all the internal seams and stuff were, you know, air, well, be tight and, and critter tight, little ant tight, whatever, nothing was getting in or out of there. <laughs> exactly. So that works as well. And, and when I say caulk, I mean, uh, water-based like, uh, latex kind of caulk, not, nothing. Not silicone. Like yes. Good to know. Very good. Well, do you have any, uh, little updates that you need to give everybody? You didn't, you didn't kill off your only colony. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm up to 160, I think, if not wow. more. <laughs> I hope they make it through because most of them are on our ag exemption customers, our turnkeys, right? So, yeah. Uh, and then I'm getting more because I'm doing uh, research uh, for, I'm going to, I'm not telling you guys quite yet. It's, this, it's a peer review for my research, for my thesis for the expert craftsman big keepers. Oh, you're going to do the master craftsman level. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. And um, and then, you know, I'm just kind of com- going to convert a whole lot more Langstroth to top bars. So I'm just going to 
increase my numbers even more. And I want to do honey production this year. So more bees. Yay. Well, awesome. <laughs> that's actually, that's great news. I hope that it all goes well and it's early in the season. And well, it's, it's, you know, seasons are weird because the winter season overlaps the two years. So it's early in the year and mm-hmm. we're about midway through the winter season for you guys down there for us up here. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. I will still be in the cold temperatures while you guys are like, it's 70 and 80 degrees. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Welcome to Texas. It has its drawbacks in the summer, but it's it does. It does. Nice. Cause then it flip flops and you know, it's like, Oh my God, it hasn't dropped below a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, I am uh, highly encouraging people to, at this time of the year, still try to plant trees for the bees and, and bushes and things because uh, fall is a great season, but winter is still, if you can, if you don't have frozen ground anyway, you can still plant uh, all that and, and prep for the bees to have more food in the spring. Very good. Well, there you go, everybody. Now you've got things to think about both on genetics and uh, hive pests and future pollination and food sources for your bees. So there's a good way to kick off 2022. I hope everybody enjoyed and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. But until then, be good. Be mindful. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees. I usually say bye-bye and I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay.